When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and I'm joined today by Calvin Wetzel from our Her Hoop Stats team. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, I'm good, Megan. How are you doing? Doing well. We're on, I think, what, week two and a half or so of college basketball? I guess three weeks now. I can't keep track of time anymore, but that's just how 2020 goes. So three weeks of college basketball. So um, super excited to have more games to talk about, I think. Yeah, we've we've had some some really big games for sure that I know we're going to get into, but some, some ranked matchups, some top 10 matchups. Uh, it's been fun so far. So yeah, I think last week when we recorded this podcast, it was right after the big South Carolina-NC State game, and now we've had quite a few more ranked matchups and big games since then. So super excited to talk about some of those. Um, I think that's going to be a lot of what this podcast is going to look like for this NCAA season, because I don't think we're going to be doing any big preview episodes of games, because the way the schedule keeps moving and changing every day, (laughs) that will become irrelevant too quickly so uh, but excited to get into kind of some of these big games and what we've seen from some of the top 10 top 25 teams so far is there a game you want to start with calvin um let's just let's just jump in with uh, louisville DePaul. um i know you had some thoughts on that one i can uh, share my thoughts as well but what did what did you think about that game so obviously a big win for Louisville, right? Like big margin victory, big resume boosting win, kind of talking about what their resume is going to look like come March, which is going to be, I think, each one of these like ranked games is more and more important because how many of them are you actually going to get in? You don't know. I mean, also assuming we get a normal March, but I'm going to just stop saying that and hope people just realize, I mean, assuming things happen. as <laughs> um, But... I think one thing that stood out to me in this game is I think people saw this final score, right, where, you know, Louisville 116 to 75, really big margin of victory, a ton of points from Louisville. And I think everyone's eyes just like naturally like jump off the page at that and the number of points that they scored and how well they shot. Um, And obviously Louisville is a good team. Haley Van Leith, that's the first time I've really seen her play obviously well anyone's seen her play against kind of a higher tier opponent so awesome to see how much he could do already as a freshman but in terms of kind of how I feel about Louisville after that game I think there was two teams that stuck or two, two teams two things that stuck out to me from that performance 
like obviously a strong offensive performance, but the reason the score got that high is because of the pace of the game, and that's something very much DePaul likes to do, right? They like to push the pace. I think they typically lead the country or are close to leading the country in points per game because it's just the way they play. They play fast. They take a lot of threes. And when you play at that pace, one, it opens up this like opportunity for someone like Louisville to score 116 points if you're taking that many shots. And then two, margins of victory, I feel like, fluctuate a lot for them because if they're hitting their threes, they're going to, you know, be right there with some of the best teams in the country. But then they don't, they're going to struggle just like they did against Louisville, four for 27. Obviously, some credit to Louisville's decents for that, but um, I think three-point shooting, too. It's partially defense, but it's partially, you know, just sometimes you have a bad shooting night. So what really stuck out for me from that is that Louisville allowed DePaul to play at their pace, which I think, you know, coming in as like a Louisville or a higher tier team that's playing DePaul, you kind of, I mean, it worked in Louisville's favor this time, but I think a lot of times you want to, you know, try to control the pace a little bit more. They had 22 turnovers. That's not ideal. Um, If you kind of control the pace, you can kind of avoid that. Obviously, they still want handedly, but... I think the better approach to that game for them, or what I would have liked to see, is them to kind of control the pace and control the game a little bit more and not just leave it up to kind of who's shooting better. The other thing that stands out to me is I think people are really getting hyped about Louisville from this game, but it was kind of a perfect matchup for them as well. DePaul is a small team, got a lot of guards, not a lot of tall players, not a lot of inside presence. Time will obviously tell we're going to see Louisville play teams that have inside play. Uh, presence hopefully at least throughout the season but I think this team is gonna struggle against a team like someone like Baylor or South Carolina that has a strong presence inside I just don't feel like they have an answer in the paint yet so yeah it's funny that you uh you know bring that up because I think we were just talking about that in our last podcast with Jen the two of us and Jen about how Louisville uh has sort of a lack of, of depth in the post but you know, yet with Olivia Cochran, they actually still have more than DePaul. It's basically like a four-guard lineup versus a five-guard lineup. So this was a good matchup for them, like you said, just in terms of not really having to guard any sort of big big paint presence. Um, and that definitely is something that could give them trouble down the road. I really enjoyed, to your point about the pace, you know, watching Louisville run because they're not really a running team uh, like DePaul is, and yeah, you would have thought that they would, they would want, want to come into that game and kind of slow things down and control the pace. It's easier to slow game down than speed it up. Uh, but they were just perfectly content running with DePaul, and I wouldn't have necessarily thought that that would be a good idea either, uh, but it clearly worked, and they have the athletes to, to keep up in transition. This might be a faster Louisville team than what we're used to under Jeff Wallace because Haley Van Lith, Kiana Smith, Obviously, Dana Evans, we all already knew about. Um, so that's a big-time three-headed monster at, at guard that can that can really all run the floor, all pass well, all shoot well. And it's they're going to be a really hard team to guard going forward. Yeah, I agree. That backcourt is extremely strong, right? It's a really solid backcourt. You've got some youth, but also experience and Evans. And I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch in the backcourt. But like you said, I just got some concerns about that front court there. And I think at the level of talent that they're at, most teams, they're still, even just with that strong backcourt, going to coast by. But I think when you get into the top 10 type matchups, they're going to face a little bit of resistance in the paint, and that could be a problem for them. Yeah, definitely when they have to face, you know, but yeah, maybe we shouldn't talk about previews like you said, but uh, if, I should say, if they have to face NC State in conference play, if that game doesn't get canceled, and you have Elisa Kunane, obviously it's a big one that comes to mind in the conference, um, but but there are some others too that they're going to have to deal with at some point, and certainly, you know, if we get to an NCAA tournament this year, they're, they're going to have to, if they play six games, they're going to have to uh they're going to have to be able to guard someone down low. I'd be interested to see how Olivia Cochran handles some of those big time matchups uh, going forward because they really haven't played any any top uh, top tier teams outside of DePaul, who's who's like says five guard sort of team. So they haven't Olivia Cochran hasn't had to guard any what you what you might call like a five star post player yet, right? I mean, I've loved what I've seen from her so far, uh, but whenever whenever the first time that that we get to see that. Uh, her put to the test in terms of post defense. I'm really excited for that. 
Agreed. I think I've been really impressed with her at the gate, especially for a freshman. But like you said, we haven't seen her against something that's like really tough competition for her. They've played kind of easier games to start off. And then DePaul just doesn't have that presence inside. So there was no real challenge for her there. But I think her development and her ability kind of by come March to kind of see if she can handle those types of matchups is going to be probably the difference maker for this team. Like if Louisville is a Elite Eight versus the Final Four team probably kind of rests on what Cochran can do down low. Definitely. And I'm, I know you said earlier, uh, you know, off air that you, that you necess- don't necessarily have a number one, but I'm going to put you on the spot on air anyway. Do you, you think Louisville is the, your number one team right now if you had to pick? Uh, it's not Louisville because of the reasons I just said. I feel like the Stanford is the logical explanation, but I, I feel like I've been – I don't know, not overwhelmingly impressed with what I've seen from them so far either. I just think that's my kind of general feel. And I think it comes a lot from just like the way the offseason was and the fragmentation of everything and how much everything's already been disrupted. But I feel like there's not a team that I like look at and I'm like, yes, that's the number one team right now. Um, I, I think it's still like this just mix of top 10 teams. And I'm not really convinced that one of them is better than the other yet. And I think it's going to take time. I guess if I had to put someone there, it's probably Stanford, but I don't think we've seen any huge tests for them yet. So I mean, time will tell, I guess. Yeah, I actually, I, I love Stanford too. Um, as you know, I am going to put Louisville though as my number one team right now, although I definitely agree with you. There's really no team that's like established themselves as that team that you have to put as, as number one, which is fun. I, I kind of hope it stays that way all year, actually. Agreed. Um, because, you know, any anyone could beat anyone in that top ten, and that's that's so much more exciting than having one team or or even two or three teams who sort of separate from the pack. So I kind of hope it stays like this. But um, I if I had to, I just think Louisville's, uh, you know, the three headed monster we talked about at guard is so difficult to defend that I they can all do everything that you need a guard to do, and I I think right now based on the very limited samples that we've seen most teams, I think that that puts them over the top for me. Yeah, that's fair. But I just generally agree with you that like, I'm so excited to kind of see this season because I think all of this, I don't really think it's going to change. I think we're going to see kind of this level of parody all the way through. I mean, it's way too early to tell, but I just don't see anyone that like looks team that looks to me like oh yes that's gonna be the team that like emerges and be the best team in the country it could really be anyone which means assuming we get to an NCAA tournament and it's in it's somewhat at least normal format second weekend of the tournament is going to be a lot of fun this year absolutely I'm I please please let it happen <laughs> because there will <laughs> yeah. be so so many and especially you know if it is in a bubble and there's no home court, well the second weekend wouldn't be home court anyway but Teams would still, you know, have have to travel further or or less far than other teams. But if it's, if it's really in a bubble, it's going to be just going to be true neutral courts, and uh, you know, we'll see if that happens. But but it's just going to be uh, it, it anyone's game, like you said. And we, I think, we're going to have more number one teams this year than than we have in a long time. Most years, you, you have a couple teams, maybe maybe three. You know, I mean, some years. As a UConn fan, you know, it's the same team the whole year. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I think we could have five or six different teams hold that spot this year. I'm all for it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think it's going to change a lot, and I think it's going to be interesting. I think there's a lot of teams that have potential to move into that spot. And I also think that spot's – I mean, not that it doesn't mean a lot to be number one, but just because you're the number one team or the number one two – two team doesn't mean like you can't get beat on any given night this season I think you know most seasons we see by the end of the year like a couple teams that have separated themselves last year it was South Carolina Oregon and kind of Baylor had really separated themselves as this like separate tier granted Baylor did lose that game in the big 12 I think championship or maybe it was their last regular season game I can't remember at this point but I think going into this season and like as we get later on we're just going to continue to see like things change and change and change and I'm really excited about it so I hope that we find a way to kind of safely play out the rest of this because it's going to be a lot of fun to watch 
Yeah, definitely. I think it was Baylor's last regular season game against Iowa State. Uh, I think the Big 12 tournament was a week scheduled a week after most of the Power 5 tournaments, which means uh, it got canceled. So, um, yeah, I th- I, they did lose their last regular season game, which I think ended up being their last game. Um, and, you know, like I said, anyone could beat anyone on any, any given night. I feel, like, I feel like that is a good segue, plus talking about Baylor getting beat at the end of last year yes. to um, – UCF, or excuse me, uh, USF, USF, um, Southern Florida, hung with Baylor, right? And then, uh, you know, lost at the end and then took Mississippi State to overtime and won that game. Um, I think they should be ranked. They're currently the top team getting votes. What, what did you think about, about USF and uh, those two games? Yeah, I mean, I think... Part of it, right, was I think the Baylor game was the game that D.D. Richards came back. So, of course, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But then, I mean, they beat Mississippi State. I'm, maybe Mississippi State's not a top six team, but I think it says more about how good this USF team is. Of course, I make a UConn joke, but like leave it to the year that they leave the AAC <laughs> to finally have a team that was going to maybe beat them. Um, but, I mean, this USF team, that's – it's not a fluke game against Mississippi State when you just took Baylor to kind of down to the wire the week before. They're good, and I think it's going to be really exciting to watch them. Um, I I think it's been a while since – I mean, USF is always decent, right? They're usually ranked. They're usually pretty good. They've had a draft pick or two in the last few years, but uh, more than I mean, we've got Courtney Williams and then Kitty Alexa went this past year, but – I'm excited to see what this team does. I think it's they're always good, but maybe they have potential to be like a second weekend team this year. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I was going to bring up the same thing about UConn getting out of that league. Yeah, uh, just looking at our our database goes back to 15-16 season. Um, and UCF's her hoop stats ratings have been in the top 50 every year, except for two years ago, they're 70th, but uh, they're always... I was up there last year. They're a top 50 team. They brought back seven players. They're top seven players. The whole starting lineup and top two top subs from that team last year that was top 50 in our database. And, and it's definitely their league to lose at this point without UConn oh, in yeah. it. Um, and they basically played, I, you know, Mississippi State may or may not be a top 10 team. They were a top 10 team in the rankings at the time, but whatever you want to call them, you, they basically played two top 10, top 15 teams dead even for 85 minutes and um there i i didn't get to see a lot of the baylor game until the fourth quarter i saw most of the mississippi state game i was just really impressed with with their defense um but also with uh maria alvarez she just felt like 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 that leader who's just you can you can give her the ball like a couple times at the end of the shot clock the play broke down you know and they just put the ball in her hands and she just got a bucket and that's the type of player you need, you know, if you're going to be um, really, really successful and make a deep run. And I, th- I think they have it. I think they have all the pieces. Yeah, another thing from the box score that just jumps out at me is that they had 23 offensive rebounds in that game. Um, and then so Mississippi State had 29 defensive rebounds, so probably close to 40, 45% offensive rebounding rate. And they had two players with six offensive rebounds. That's extremely impressive performance on the offensive glass against Mississippi State. And Mississippi State isn't, you know, a slacker in the front court. Like, they've got some front court players. So that's really impressive for me. Yeah, and Mississippi State's actually as big, maybe even bigger. South Florida's not that big of a team. Uh, Mm -hmm. The two players I'm looking in the box score that you're talking about, Shea Leverett and Betty Manunga, are are six foot six two. Um, Both got six offensive rebounds. Manunga finished with 12, and then they also had uh, their point guard, Lisa Pinzon was an assist away uh, from a triple-double, had 11 rebounds of her own and nine assists, also three steals. Holy cow. (laughs) Yeah, they just have some players. And, uh, you know, offensive rebounding is mostly just effort, especially when you're not super, you know, big and you're a little bit undersized in the front court like they are. It's just effort, and that speaks really well to, you know, how how well-coached they are. For sure. I mean, Jose Fernandez always has a great team, so I think we're going to continue to see that this year, obviously. But I'm excited to kind of see where they end up by the end of the season in the rankings. Like you said, they're vying for that last spot right now. They're the 
have the most votes of people that haven't made the poll, but I mean, in my opinion, they should already be ranked, so I'm sure they're going to make it in there soon, and if they keep playing like they are, they should climb in the ranks. It's going to be fun to watch. 100%, and yeah, you just hope that Mississippi State is still still good, because, because uh, I mean, I think they'll be fine, but every once in a while you have those teams who lose lose sort of uh, a legendary coach, and uh, in their first year, it's they're just still trying to figure things out, and a new coach, a new system, and um, I... I think they're going to be fine, but especially if you're South Florida, you, you hope that they're going to be fine because that win is going to look a lot better if Mississippi State does, in fact, end up being a top-10 team once we know a little bit more about them. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a Mississippi State fan. I'm not super concerned right now. I think this transition should be expected in a normal year, right? You've got a new coach. You lost some players to transfer, some new pieces. There's just kind of some like gelling that needs to happen on the court, and it might take a few games. And then USF is a strong team, even if they end the season at 25, they're probably going to end the season ranked. They're a strong team. And then you add in the fact that COVID in this offseason has been anything but typical. You haven't had your standard summer workouts that would have helped kind of get over some of that chemistry hump from a new, you know, new system, new players. And then also just the way that things have been fragmented. And there's, I don't think that Mississippi State themselves have been paused, but, you know, they were supposed to be in Connecticut playing two weekends ago and then that gets canceled and then things just keep moving. So it's a little bit hard to like get adjusted to everything that's going on. So I, I don't think I have concerns about Mississippi state at this point. It's a good loss. If you want to call it that, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. Yeah, I agree. I definitely don't either. And I, and I uh, definitely, definitely hope that we both don't end up being wrong on that. Um, (laughs) I, I think Mississippi state is, is just a, a fun team to watch, um, and I hope they stay relevant. Exactly. And I think the other piece, too, is they're young. I think they had a lot of freshmen last year. They've got some more freshmen this year. So add to the fact that all of those things we just talked about and they're like some of their biggest pieces are sophomores, it's, it's going to take some time. Yeah, definitely. And South Florida is definitely not young. They're uh, they're very experienced. They're, they're old in a good way. So uh, that was – it's probably a good time for that matchup to happen from a South Florida uh, perspective, you know, early in the season when when you can really ride that experience even more over, over some young players who are trying to figure it out still and navigating the offseason. Um, I think that experience is going to carry South Florida really, really throughout the whole year. For sure. And, I mean, we talked about how USF kind of held Baylor close. Should we also talk about Baylor's loss to Arkansas? We should. Yes, that was that is another good segue. What did you think about that game? I mean, it was just such a fun game in general. I feel like that's like the highlight of it, right? Like you've got two really good teams. I think you know Arkansas. I forget exactly where they ended up back in the poll. Well, I mean they were already in the poll, but where they ended up this week after that win. But I mean, a team that definitely had some hype around it in the SEC. Honestly, it felt a little underranked just because of that you know backcourt duo of Chelsea Dungey and. Um, Destiny Slocum so I mean just how much star power and those are two players that can just go off all the time so you've got so many scoring options um I think we saw exactly that in this game and how they're gonna be able to compete and probably beat kind of any team in the country if they have a good night and that's what happened against Baylor yeah it's it's one of those teams a little bit like DePaul you talked about earlier how DePaul might not necessarily have to be a whole, you know, super worried about a 40-point loss because they're just going to have ups and downs when you play the style they do. And Arkansas loves to run and loves to shoot threes as well. And we saw them have a pretty big loss uh, just a week or two ago to Maryland. And then they come back and beat beat a top 10 Baylor team. So uh, Arkansas is going to be another one of those teams who has a lot of the variation of a high ceiling and a low floor say but but the high ceiling is exciting and we saw that against Baylor and uh you know Chelsea Dungy Destiny Slocum and Amber Ramirez too mm-hmm. a name that I, I feel like should be thrown in there those are three fifth-year seniors they can all shoot um Amber Ramirez in particular is I think she's the best shooter out of all of them she's not the best player um but she's the best shooter she led the SEC last year in three-point attempts and three-point percentage which is which is an, an insane combination of volume and efficiency. 
And uh, she's shooting 43-plus percent from three again this year. Um, she picked up right where she left off. I'm, I have a lot of fun watching this Arkansas team. Um, and, and I think this was a big win for them. Jen made the point in our Slack, which I think was a good point, that, that under Mike Neighbors, they've had a lot of sort of close but no cigar type of, you know, they've, they've had a lot of success. They've had a lot of decent wins, and they've, they've, it feels like every time they get a chance for this sort of big signature win, they come up short. They, they play South Carolina twice a year, and, and they come up short. Um, and this, this win kind of feels like it gets, gets the program over a little bit of a hump the sense that they finally knocked off a top-five team. They, they finally proved that this style can win games, and especially against a team that plays you know, very much a different style, who, who doesn't shoot threes, who loves to pound it into the post, who's, who's always going to you know, win the size matchup in, in the battle of the boards. Um, and Arkansas just said, you know, that's fine, but uh, we're just going to outshoot you. And they did. Um, and so I, I think it was a huge, huge win for Mike Neighbors and just the program in general. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of that comes from having three fifth-year seniors, right? They're not much experience on the court. You're just going to be more poised and ready to win in those kind of late-game situations or close-game situations where you need to pull it out. And, I mean, obviously, Destiny Slocum coming from Oregon State has some experience doing that, has played in NCAA tournaments, has played in big games at Oregon State where they've won against big-time teams. So that added experience there as well is a big asset for them. I think coming into March, like, Arkansas is everyone's worst nightmare. Like, that's the team you do not want on your side of the bracket or anywhere on your path to the Elite Eight or Final Four because if they have a good night shooting-wise, especially they're just going to really be able to take out kind of anyone. doesn't matter what seed you are. So I think that's a big kind of thing to watch. I think they're going to be so much fun to watch just in general, but also in the tournament. You have any thoughts on the Baylor perspective from that game? Um, I mean, I, I think, I feel like we've been saying this about everyone who loses and maybe, I don't know, maybe we're too nice or something, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not worried about if I'm Baylor, like, I don't, I don't think I have any reason to be concerned. Uh, but I do think seeing, you know, we talked about these last two Baylor games, uh, with USF and in Arkansas, seeing DD Richards on the court. Um, I mean, she's, she's going to obviously get better and better as the season goes on and she gets back kind of back into the swing of things, which is another reason I'm not concerned, but it's amazing to see. I don't understand how it's humanly possible to, to have that sort of a timeline that she, she couldn't watch, she couldn't move, you know, her legs. And then like a month later, she's playing basketball at a divisional level. It's, it's mind blowing to me, but it's, it's just amazing to see her on the court this quick and we were talking whether we would see her on the court you know at all ever again or at least this season and now it's non-conference season still is December and she's she's uh she's back on the court that that's my big takeaway from Baylor honestly is just uh her remarkable journey and um I'm very impressed with with her so far yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, just so incredible to see her back on the court. And never in my like wildest imagination did I imagine that we'd be watching her play basketball in December. So I think it's just really great to see her out there. From Baylor's perspective, I think one thing that's kind of intriguing to me, and I'm like interested in keeping an eye on. Again, not concerned. It's a good loss, but is their move of Dee Dee Richards to point guard? I feel like that was a, kind of a surprising move to me. I kind of figured, you know, DJ Carrington is coming in. They've kind of used this grad transfer point guard style for the last three seasons and or two seasons and obviously has panned out fine for them. Um, so I kind of thought that was going to be the move at the point guard for them. So seeing Dee Dee Richards move into that spot, a little curious. I mean, obviously she's had really great assist numbers her first few games. So I think she's cut out for it, but I don't, I don't know how I feel about it quite yet. I'm like, I question if it's like the best move for her. I know she hasn't always been the strongest offensive player. Obviously, one defensive player of the year last year is just an absolute menace on defense. But I guess maybe part of the thinking there is like she's going to distribute more, which she's always been a great passer. Um, and then there's less pressure on her to score. But I think we've seen her, especially in the NCAA tournament, kind of when they 
one, two years ago, she can be an offensive force. And I just wonder if her playing on the ball all the time is the best move. Obviously, Arkansas also very fast paced, so not the best like second game back to have if you're trying to play point guard and have never played point guard before. But six turnovers is not great. I mean, her assist to turnover ratio is still over one because she had eight assists as well. So nothing super concerned about. But um, I don't know. I'm just kind of interested to see how that evolves and if they change that up at all throughout the season. I don't know that I'm yet convinced that it's like my favorite move for their lineup. Yeah, that's a good point. Drew's still out on that one. Her assist numbers have been great, but like you said, not just in that game. And for you know the whole season so far, she's uh, well, uh, two games because <laughs> she didn't play right away. So uh, grain of salt, but she's uh, averaging four turnovers per game. Um, and I, you know, Dijanae Carrington isn't exactly known as being sort of a long range threat either so if she were you know that move might make it I think I kind of agree with you I don't know I mean it could work out I, but if Carrington were more of a long-range threat you think well maybe they want her to play off the ball um you know to be stretch defenses and kind of kind of be that uh kick out you know catch and shoot shooter um but you know we haven't really seen that I mean she she takes three she hasn't made a lot um DD I mean DD Richards is a big guard a big point guard. And I think maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe what Kim Mulkey is, is looking for is just to, to have that sort of size advantage at the guard position. Um, she can, you know, see over defenders and it's, and it's a little bit harder to, to get that pressure on someone, you know, on the perimeter when, when they're that big, how tall is she? I, she's six one. So um, yeah, she, if you're, you know, you're a point guard, you're often going to have like a five nine, five ten on you. She can she can sort of see over the defense, and um, I mean, last year Tay Cooper was five eight, right? So um, that's the only thing I can really think. Um, I mean, other than that loss, like you said, it, it has worked out. Honestly, I don't think that's the reason why they lost that game either. Um, so it it'll be it's interesting to see though going forward how they how they kind of manage and, and share the load at point guard between those two. And it's definitely been more heavily tilted towards Didi right now um, when they're both on the court together as the sort of the primary ball handler. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting, interesting trend to, to watch going forward. She was an incredible passer, you know, even before she was sort of the primary point guard. You mentioned that. Um, but last year she was 16th in the country in assists per game. Um with Taya Cooper as the primary point guard. So, I mean, she can pass from anywhere, you know, if they, wherever they put her on the court, she's going to find people, but it is, it is uh, an interesting move from Kim Mulkey. Yeah. The other thing that concerns me is I think, I mean, it's tapered off a little bit since her freshman year, but she's pretty good on the offensive glass is in the 65th percentile, which is kind of in the middle, but for offensive rebounding rate last year, but, uh, you know, take into consideration that Baylor's are also one of the more efficient teams in the country. And then, um, you know, she's also had 1.6 offensive rebounds a game last season, which was in the 78th percentile. So I just worry that, you know, putting her out as the point guard, she's going to spend more time outside. She's not going to be a crashing that offensive glass anymore. And of course, those numbers, I feel like she's also the type of player that even if she's not grabbing that rebound, she's always involved on the offensive glass and tipping it out or whatever. So I don't know. I'm just concerned from their presence inside that it's actually a disadvantage for them to move her kind of to that point guard position. Yeah, that is an interesting point. And, and you were bringing up, you know, her per- percentiles in offensive rebounding her freshman year, she was in, in the top 10% country. So she's definitely, you know, capable of crashing the glass. Um, and also just having, having a point guard that, that uh, I mean, Baylor's used to this. So, well, Tay Cooper could kind of shoot, but Baylor's used to not not really taking too many threes and not having you know a ton of three point shooters on the court. So it's not like there's anything new for them. But but having a, having a point guard who's not necessarily um, a three point threat is uh, also just sort of opens you up to some some defenses that could really do some different things and sort of just let you stand out there and, and pack, pack it in. Um, so yeah, definitely interesting to see how, how that works for them. And if, if defenses are able to sort of use that to their advantage um, or, or if D, I mean, she is an amazing passer. So there's definitely some pros and cons to this move, but 
um, I am, I'm excited to see how it works out for them. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to see if it changes over the season too. Like they made this move, but if it doesn't work out or, I mean, I feel like maybe part of it is I don't know how healthy Carrington is. I know she was coming off an injury. Maybe there's some lingering effects there. I mean, she did pay 25 minutes against Arkansas, had 24 points. So maybe she moves into a starting role at some point and they kind of shift things around and she plays the point more. It's going to be interesting to kind of see how it all shakes out. I mean, I think you want Dee Dee Richards. That's probably part of it too. You want Dee Dee Richards on the floor for as many minutes as possible. She played already, which is incredible considering what she's coming back from, but 37 minutes in that Arkansas game. You just can't replace her presence on defense. So even if she's not the most ideal player on offense, and she's still going to be on the floor. But I'd just like to see her play off the ball a little bit more and them open up ways for her to be stronger offensively, which is going to be more in the paint, on the wing, um, inside, kind of not taking threes or being outside distributing the ball. So I'm kind of interested to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, and they could still, you know, run the offense through her if they wanted, if they want to use that passing ability, like put her in the high post rather than bringing the ball up the floor and then have her, you know, find find people uh, from the high post or, you know, she can obviously turn and, and drive that spot too. But um, definitely have a lot of options. It's it's a good problem to have, I think, if you're Kim Mulkey, um, to, you know, you have two very capable passers, people very capable of, of running the point. I'm I'm with you that I'm not sure if DD is necessarily the right answer yet. Uh, Kim Mulkey knows more than I do, but we'll see. I think I think it's a good problem though, and I think it's it's gonna be a fun fun trend to watch. Yeah, the other thing for me is like selfishly, well, because I like love DD Richards and I think that she should be like a top draft pick next year. I just want to see them find more opportunities to use her on offense and where her strengths shine because I think. Obviously, she's such an asset on defense, and that's something that I think will translate to the next level quickly and be a really big pickup for all these teams. But if she can't find the offense, I think it's going to be harder for her to be a top, you know, five pick or whatever. But I think if she finds off like her offensive game this season, she's probably could be a lottery pick, and I'd like to see that happen for her, especially now coming back from this injury. Like that would be such a good story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I wonder if. Uh... If, if Kim Mulkey is thinking about that at all, they're trying to win games right now, but this could, this move could help or hurt her, to be honest, um, in terms of her offensive draft spot stock, because if she continues to, I mean, she's fourth in the country in assists per game right now, again, only two games, but seven and a half assists, if she continues to pass at that level, which even, even by her standards would be her career high. Um, I mean, your draft stock could go up, I think, but you know, at the same time, then, uh, you, you lose sort of that chance to showcase some of the other areas where she's maybe more likely to be used at the next level, because I'm not sure if any WNBA team is actually drafting her to run the point. Um, they're, they're probably drafting her as, you know, a defender who is a very capable passer from certain spots on the floor. But uh, so it definitely, it definitely could, you know, go the other way too, in the sense that, you know, maybe not showcasing how she would be used the most at the next level or preparing her the most for what she would be doing at the next level. Um, but that's, a, that's an interesting point to watch as well. For sure. Also, if anyone from Baylor is listening, I want one of those t-shirts that has her puffed on it. This is not related <laughs> to the conversation at all, but I'm just obsessed with them and I really want them on a t-shirt. <laughs> someone get Megan one of these t-shirts. <laughs> I'm like, I know they can't sell them. I wish they could because it would be great if they could sell them because I'm sure plenty of people would want them and they could like donate yeah. the money to spinal injury research or something. But anyway, I just really want her puffs on a t-shirt. So, well, I guess if that doesn't happen, I hope Breaking Tea, if someone's listening from there, makes it like Dee Richards puff shirt for the WNBA draft and then I can buy one. But I believe I you have a history with, uh, with speaking Breaking Teas into existence, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I like Am to I think right? that I do. I literally, like, after we talked about that on the podcast, because I really wanted a Crystal Dangerfield one, which I now have, but I DM them on Twitter and they never answered me. But then, like, a couple days later, there was a Crystal Dangerfield shirt. So I'm going to pretend like that was my doing. <laughs> I, I think so. I think we can give you credit for that. So uh, maybe we can make it two for two with uh, <laughs> Megan here if, if we have any breaking tea listeners. Yes, for sure. Just want, I love that her hair is the best hair that ends no questions asked, so I'm on it on the shirt. 
<laughs> I am I'm very into into that hair as well, actually. I, I'm with so you on that. <laughs> All right, so I think we've got one big kind of game left to talk about, which is Arizona UCLA from last Friday. Uh, big Pac-12 showdown. Uh, two of the top teams in the Pac-12. Um, any thoughts off the bat on that? Yeah, wow, that was a that was a great game. Uh, it's interesting that Arizona could so easily be one and two right now because you know they they squeak out of that one. I mean, and I don't know if they squeak out. It it was a one possession game, but obviously at the end it was uh, they they were up by a few possessions in the last minute, and UCLA sort of stuck around for longer than maybe they should have in that final minute. But but uh, on the scoreboard, you know, they win by three, win the next game by one, um, and they could easily be one and two, but. But I, I still am very impressed with Arizona, and I've said this before on this podcast. I think Ari, uh, Ari McDonald and, and Sam Thomas are like two of my favorite players to watch. Um, but from the UCLA perspective, I'll let you go off on them because they're I know they're like your your favorite non UConn team in the country. <laughs> but I think they are answering a lot of questions that we had about them. Even in this loss, we were talking about on our last podcast of. of their shooting and how they're a great defensive team. Um, and, you know, they do a lot of things well, but shooting was a big question mark for them last year. Um, well, it was in this game too. I shouldn't say that they answered questions in this game, but uh, overall on the season, they're actually shooting better as a team from three than anyone single individual on the team shot last year, last year, charisma Osborne led the team in three point shooting at 33%. This year, the team overall shooting 36%. Uh, despite actually in this game, which may be why they lost the game, is shooting twenty uh, percent, three for fifteen from three. Um, but I think if they could, they don't have to be like a you know top level three point shooting team. If they can just be average, if they can if they can be average in making their shots, you know, even just have one or two players um, who who are making you know mid to upper thirties percent of the threes, that makes them so much harder to guard. And you have that right now. Charisma Osborne is, is 37%, you know, up a little bit from last year. And I, I think, I mean, it's been an interesting team, you know, because they've been practicing with what, eight or whatever. Um, interesting team to follow. But I, I think they have definitely improved, in, you know, in the, sh- the small sample size that we've seen so far. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm buying quite into the hype that you have, Megan. I don't know if you're still picking them in the final four. I don't, I don't know if I'm going that far, but I'm de- my opinion of them is definitely definitely rising. For sure. I'm going to go into UCLA in a second, but I just want to comment on Ari McDonald first because I think obviously she has all this hype around her going to the season so well-deserved. And, I mean, 17 points in this game, huge for them on offense. But the thing that struck me the most from her that game was just when they needed, like, the big-time defensive play, it was always Ari McDonald. And I think that's so much of why she's so good that maybe often gets overlooked because she's this big scorer for them. But I think, you know, it's part of why she's going to be a, most likely a WNBA lottery pick is that defensive edge that she adds as well. It's just, especially at her size to have that is really, really impressive. And I'm very much looking forward to watching that this season. But yeah, to your point about UCLA, I mean, aside from the absolutely like abysmal third quarter in this game, I thought they looked pretty good. They shot absolutely horribly from the third quarter. So to me, for them to hang with Arizona and lose by three after literally scoring one field goal in the third quarter, <laughs> um, like they're pretty good, right? <laughs> if you can come back from that and still hang with one of the top teams in the country, that that's pretty impressive to me and like you said I mean Charisma Osborne I just love watching her play I think she's so much fun to watch and then obviously I think everyone on this podcast knows I love Michaela Anyamwari so um like the two of them are just so much fun to watch yeah they've only got eight players but I think we see a lot of teams that play small rotations so as long as no one gets hurt it's hard from a practice perspective but I don't know that it's necessarily that big of a disadvantage obviously I know they're I think going to court to try to get their Australian freshmen over here to play but um I think I'm very excited to see kind of what they do this season that's I'm sure no one's surprised by I mean they've been shooting better they followed up this game against Arizona with a game where they scored I think it was this week over 100 points so take the opponent for what it was worth but I think just the fact that this team that has struggled so much offensively from 
last season to score 100 points in a game to me shows a sign in addition to all those numbers you just shared that there's clearly been some development on the offensive end which is I think what this team needs to be kind of a top five team in the country top 10 team in the country competing for a final four and it's there I think Chris Mosborn just just gonna get better because she's still I mean it's her third fourth game of her sophomore season like she's just got so much room to grow and then obviously Michaela all-american candidate um and then I love also off the bench for them Chantel Horvat she just adds so much for them she's a great shooter but also you know kind of is a little bit everywhere on the floor so yeah I'm just they lost this game, but I don't think I'm concerned about it. Yeah, definitely. I'm not either. And, and uh, yeah, that game you mentioned, they scored 102 on UC Santa Barbara. Um, just opponent or whoever the opponent is, it doesn't really matter. They shot 10 for 20 from three. Um, and, you know, opponents, uh, if, you're, if you're into the analytics, any of our listeners, opponents control a lot more of how many threes the offense attempts than they actually do how many threes the offense makes. Uh, you know, if you play really good three-point defense, you don't miss threes. You just don't take them, right? So the fact that they shot 10 for 20 from three, I don't think it's just, oh, it's a weak opponent. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it means they can shoot. And <laughs> that's important because last year that was a struggle sometimes. And it probably will be certain games. Again, this year, they're not going to make that many threes every game. But if you're capable of that, you know, Natalie Cho, four for seven, Prisma Osborne, two for four. Um, they had seven different players. No, excuse me, six different players uh, knocked down a three. Um, I mean, you can you can do a lot more with with the offense. Um, in in uh, you know, Corey Close said it was it was I think Chantel Jennings in the Athletic wrote a piece about it. If anyone wants to look that up, uh, that that she wanted to change the offense this year and you know, go a little bit more five out, sort of the modern basketball type of look. Uh, and I think it's working. I think it's. It's, uh, you know, really paying dividends so far. I'm excited to see how, how it works out the rest of the way. Um, I want to go back to Arizona real quick, too. Another uh, just completely random stat that I have on them so far. Mostly just inserting this here to give a shout out to uh, this new website that I told you about off air. Um, so Arizona uh, leads the nation so far in shots at the rim per 100 possessions. Um, they, they, uh, they really, you know, score. It's it's led by Erin McDonald, uh, you know, getting into the paint. She's she's always the quickest person on the floor. Um, but they have they have you know a lot of other people too. Sheena Pellington um, is is a great sort of one two punch in the backcourt um, in that regard with Erin McDonald. But I want to give a shout out to this website where I got this stat. Um, like I said, I just completely random and has nothing to do with what you're talking about. But I feel like they deserve this. So. Um, it's cbbanalytics.com. It's a new website this year. Um, everyone should go check it out. They have all sorts of amazing college basketball data, women's and men's both. Um, they have, you know, the stat I just got, they have shot location um, type stuff, shot, shot charts and, you know, shot zones. So, uh, you know, the field goal percentage at the rim and shots taken at the rim and things like that. Um, they, they have assist networks uh if, if that's your thing um they have on off stats uh they really just have everything so go check them out if you're an analytics nerd um and that that's my completely random plug and now we can get back to talking about arizona and ucla <laughs> <laughs> i mean you told me about the site before the podcast and i think i'm going to waste way too much time that i do not have to be wasting tonight on it but <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, just super excited to see kind of, I mean, both of these teams, right, from the Pac-12, I think. We've seen the Pac-12 be a top conference in the nation for years now, but the teams that get talked about the most are Stanford and Oregon, I think. I mean, those two teams are still, they're both top team te- 10 teams right now, so they're going to be talked a lot too, but I hope that Arizona and UCLA just get more national attention and hopefully more national TV time because they deserve to be on national TV. Ari McDonald, Michaela Anuari both deserve to be on national TV. Hopefully ESPN picks up some of those games instead of them all being buried on the Pac-12 network, which you can't get in a whole lot of places, especially if you don't live on the West Coast. Um, But I'm just really excited to kind of see both of these teams and how their seasons go. Yeah, definitely. little uh, quick complaint. (laughs) 
that I heard <laughs> complained to you about on Twitter. But uh, not only do these teams deserve national TV, but even you know some of the games that can't get on national TV, like they should all be on the Pac-12 network. I know, you know, a lot of people can't get the Pac-12 network. Um, I pay for Sling TV only to get the Pac-12 network, which might be too much of a splurge, but I care way too much about college basketball, so I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Sling TV gets Pac-12 network if anyone wants to watch Pac-12 games. But my complaint is that the Pac-12 network doesn't even have all of these games. And you have six networks. The Big Ten network has one network plus Big Ten plus. You know, the ACC network, same deal. SEC network, same deal. Pac-12, they have six of them. There's like the Oregon one, the Arizona one, the Washington one. There's one for every travel partner um, in the in the Pac-12. So uh, you should be able to find a way to get every single conference basketball game, women's basketball game, on on one of your networks. Um, that's my complaint. Pac-12 network, please put all of the women's basketball games on your networks and stop showing old things that happened in 2013 because we want women's basketball to be, at a very minimum, accessible if you're willing to pay for it. Um, and But I agree. I hope not only you know that, but some of these, at least the top of the conference, do start getting more love on a national level because you basically have four top 10 teams in this conference with UCLA, Stanford, Oregon, and Arizona, which means any given, any given week, any given weekend, you know, when conference season really gets underway, they've already started conference play a little bit, but when it really gets underway in January, any given weekend, you're going to have a top 10, at least one top 10 matchup in this conference. And uh, I would love for as many people to be able to watch those as, as they can. I know there's some East coast biased on TV, but uh, I'll stay up however late to watch pac 12. I don't, I don't care when it is. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm up for 9 p.m. tips. I mean, when it gets to 11 p.m. tips, it's a little dicey, but I still stay up for them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you can get it on FUBU TV, too, for people that are looking to get it. Also, probably spending too much money to literally just have Pac-12 Network, but here we are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, agreed. I don't understand why all the games are on, especially if you're playing reruns. Like, I, the, the top women's basketball conference in the country consistently for probably at least three years now, it should be on television. I'll rest my case. We don't need to go on a full rant about it, but yeah, I just, I just don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> we are on the same page, Megan. <laughs> Any parting thoughts, Calvin, that you wanted to close out with? Um, I don't think so. I probably should have some words of wisdom to leave everyone with, but I don't. So um, this has been fun. It's been good talking some hoops with you. For sure. It's been fun. Um, We'll be back next week with a kind of different episode. We're doing a mock WNBA free agency. So putting a lot of time into that. Keep an eye out for that. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, And we'll talk to you next week. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.